0: This morning, we are going to continue in what we're calling our study of role players this Christmas, and we're going to be talking about the character of Herod this morning, King Herod. Now, the past couple weeks, the first Sunday of this study, Thomas talked to us about Joseph, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, about how he taught us and showed us the character of what it looked like to remain faithful whenever it was actually countercultural to be faithful. And even in the moments that we had opportunity and we have opportunity to judge and 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 kind of hit people over the head for what they're doing or what they've done, um, there is this honor that we see coming from Joseph. Last week we looked at Elizabeth. Uh, The mother of John the Baptist, and how she handled the situation of her being, you know, having conceived and being pregnant later in life, but also receiving a visit from a teenage girl who had this crazy outlandish story of being pregnant uh, via the Holy Spirit. So we learned through Elizabeth's story that we need to value connection and encouragement for our brothers and sisters, even when we would have the opportunity to feel upstaged, or when someone else receives a blessing maybe that we've wanted, or they receive a blessing in what we would consider to be greater measures than them. So today we are going to look at King Herod, and we're going to look at control issues. Now I know it's kind of an odd thing to be looking at on a Sunday morning before Christmas, But I promise you, this will all come back around because each and every one of us on some level deals with control issues. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading the entirety of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... are no more. Let's, let's stop there and let's pray this morning. God, thank you again for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for this opportunity that we can uh, experience church and experience fellowship and experience your presence in, in different ways. God, I pray this morning that as we read your word that it was pleasing to you And God, I ask that everything be pleasing as we move forward in this message. God, I pray that ears, hearts, minds would be open to receive your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would speak through me. Remove me, remove my flesh, remove my carnality and fallibility, and let your Holy Spirit speak through me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about Herod and his background for a little bit, because spoiler alert, Herod was not a good dude. Okay? He was not a good guy, period. As a matter of fact, we see in the Gospels, we saw at the beginning of this chapter of Matthew chapter 2, and we see in Luke chapter 1 verse 5, that the writers make certain points, and they make sure that they draw out the fact that this was happening in the day's of Herod, the reason I believe one of the reasons for this is Thomas and I over the past couple weeks have both spoken about this four hundred years of darkness. You know, this four hundred years from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels, when when the birth announcement and the announcement of John the Baptist came, there were four hundred years of silence where God was not speaking, especially not speaking through His prophets, which was what had taken place beforehand. So there was this four hundred year period of darkness and i think that it all kind of culminated with this in the time of herod because if you look at what kind of ruler what kind of king and what kind of person that herod was i believe that this gives us a glimpse of utter darkness here on the earth that the depravity of man was on full display and it was kind of on full display in one individual and that was king herod now herod was of the line of esau which meant that there was a kind of a natural he was a natural enemy to the people of God to the Jewish people but he converted to Judaism in his lifetime at the beginning of his rule he conf- he the conf- words are hard this morning people he converted to Judaism uh, and it's widely believed that it was politically motivated That it was not a sincere conversion of believing in God, but he was doing so only to have a political angle. And I know that's a foreign concept for us, for a politician to say or do or try to be something in order to gain favor of people. But there's another interesting aspect of what what Herod did. Herod also spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of resources pouring into the temple of god now we know that during the life of solomon king solomon david's son that there was an original temple that was built 500 ish years later the temple was destroyed babylonian captivity all of that stuff took place and then there was another temple built this second temple and this was the temple that he went into he kind of did like for those of you old enough to remember maybe watch this show he kind of went in and did like an extreme home makeover Uh, to to the temple. So here we have this king who is trying to align himself with God's people by converting to Judaism. And then he is actually investing time and money and energy and resources into God's house. But what we're going to find is that no matter what your mouth proclaims, And no matter how much money or how much attendance or how much resources that you have into the things of God, if your life does not back that up, then you're really not a follower of God to begin with. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn because sometimes I believe that we think that if we're convinced enough by just saying that we're Christ followers, then that makes us a true Christ follower. Or if we come to church regularly, if we give to church regularly, if we pour in our time and our energy and our resources into church, then that qualifies us. That are, those are byproducts of a relationship with Christ. They're not what gets us acceptance into Him. And we're going to see that the heart is a really big deal in our relationship with Jesus. So as we kind of begin to look at these control issues this morning, I, I want to say that we're all guilty of what Herod has done here also. Now we may not go to the extremes that Herod goes to, but we all have issues with control in our lives. Amen okay I got a grunt from a few that's all right I'll take that we all on some level have control issues we it can be all the way down from the the smallest most minute of things to even some of the bigger things that I don't even think that we take time to consider the weight and the gravity of them and that is how we read and how we interpret this word and I want to give you a little bit of an example, because I was having a conversation a little bit earlier this week uh, with, with someone, and um, it, was, it was an interesting conversation, to say the least. But we were talking about the Old Testament book of Hosea, and I'm, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on that book, but basically it is a prophetic picture, Hosea being a priest, being a godly man, being, being someone who followed after God, who took... Gomer, which is the greatest biblical name ever, and no, not Gomer Pyle for you Andy Griffith fans, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But he took Gomer to be his wife. Now, Gomer was a harlot, she was a prostitute. And this was a prophetic picture, Old Testament, of God's attempts at the restoration of the nation of Israel. That God is, Hosea is an image of God in this story, and Gomer is an image of Israel and their rebellion and he restores her. And then she goes back constantly day after day after day back into this old lifestyle of prostitution. And what the message is, is that God is trying to restore the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel keeps falling back into their sinful ways. Fast forward till today, that picture still applies to us but for some reason there is a theology out there that is contorting that story and saying that we as a church we as God God's people actually play the role of Hosea and the world is Gomer we even try to control the narrative of God's word and what it teaches so that we can feel better about ourselves church make no mistake about it you are not Hosea you are not Hosea in that story. Each and every one of us are Gomer. That is what our life is. Each and every day, no matter how good I am, no matter how good I try to be, my very best effort on a daily basis still has me fallen back into a sinful prostitution state. Because sin is the best thing I can produce without the dependence upon my Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So we all have these control issues, from minor to major, like that. And I want to give you a story. I was reminded a little bit of a story about how, um, from almost the word go, we have uh, these kind of control tendencies and these manipulation type things because we can. Uh, I remember when when Rachel was probably about three, maybe four. Uh, she and my niece who is a couple years older than her um, our niece was spending the night with us and I had established a bedtime well there was something that came up you know obviously they didn't want to go to bed at that time and I I think it I think it was the sleep mate was what it was, because it was some kind of noisemaker. I mean, it, it's basically just a loud grunting noise all night long. And, and no one in our family can sleep without those. Well, except for me. I could fall asleep standing up here right now. But they, what they did was they took that sleepmate and they hid it. Somehow, like, in the top of one of our closets. So they got to enjoy, like, an extra hour of staying awake not going to bed why because I was in a mad dash search throughout this house to find the sleep mate and the whole time they had hidden it well I didn't know this until the next time my niece came over to spend the night and they hid the sleep mate again in the exact same spot and they came to me and they told me "It's like we can't go to sleep And we know it's bedtime, but we can't go to sleep. We can't find somebody's lost a sleepmate again. And I said, okay, but I'm telling you something. If I walk in there and I find that sleepmate again in the top of the closet, then I'm waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and we're going to go sweep the basement. They're like, we think we can find it. We think we can find it. Sure enough, they'd hidden it in the top of the closet again. See, they were manipulating the bedtime. But even at that young of an age, we have this tendency to want to control things. And if the year 2020 has taught us nothing, it should have taught us this fact of how little control that we actually have and what type of illusion that we've lived our lives up to up until this point of believing that we actually control things. So this morning, let's look at the life of Herod. Let's look at this story, and let's see how his control issues escalated throughout. So now remember, in the days of King Herod is a really, really dark time. So the first thing, the stages here, the first one we find is in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2, when it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him think about that statement for just a moment the king was troubled but all of jerusalem was troubled with him you see there's an element that we can reach when we have control issues when we affect people and relationships around us with our behavior with our manipulation with our control fear begins to set in in the relationship and folks there is no fear in christ jesus Perfect love casts out all fear. But notice, the people of God, Jerusalem themselves, was greatly troubled by the news that there could possibly be a Messiah. You would think that would be something that they would rejoice about, right? I mean, that's something you've waited for thousands of years to see happen is this Messiah to be born, this promised Savior to come to earth and restore the nation of Israel. You would think that they would would be excited about this, but we have to remember that it's in the days of King Herod. And they were afraid and troubled. Why? Because he was afraid and troubled. And they didn't want to have to pay the price of rejoicing for something that the king was fearful of. Because it was said by one historian, I cannot remember their name right now, but they said that it was, in this time, it was safer to be King Herod's pig than it was to be one of his family members. Because he was known to kill and slaughter his own family members if he felt threatened, if he would lose control. Because this morning, church, make no mistake, we all are working for a kingdom. Now, we may not sit on a physical throne like King Herod did, but we all have a kingdom in our hearts. The question becomes, which kingdom are we working for? Which kingdom are we a part of? Are we a part of the capital K kingdom, which God is ruler of, and it's the kingdom of our God? Or are we working towards our own personal kingdoms? That thing that we may play lip service to not doing everything for our own personal benefit. That thing that we may try to convince everyone around us that we're serving God or we're serving something greater than us, but at the end of the day, it comes back to, if I benefit from it, then that's what's going to happen. If I don't benefit from it, then I'm going to hurt, damage any person, any relationship, anything that I have to, to make sure that my kingdom is advanced. So when we have control issues when we have this agenda of our own personal kingdoms, then that means that there are most likely people around you who are fearful of your behavior and fearful of what you do and how you act and what you say. So that's the first stage, is we see that there are people who live in fear around Herod. Verse 4, this next stage I want us to look at what King Herod did. So he's deeply troubled by this news. But then verse 4 it says that he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. In this stage we, um, we kind of try to look good. And we try to put off the the perception we, we we try to make everyone think that we're trying to do what we're supposed to be doing because again he'd converted to judaism so he needed to at least have the appearance that he was bringing in the religious people because he brought the chief priests and the scribes in to get there so all he was doing, he wasn't concerned about the well-being of the Savior. He wasn't concerned that this, was, this needed to happen, this needed to safely take place. He was concerned because it was threatening to him, and he manipulated the people, and then he brought in the religious leaders so that it would, if they didn't get the answers from them, at least it looked like he was trying to do the right thing. Now, I know none of us have ever done that, but we've known people who do that right they really don't have the right motive or the right intent in their heart but they want to make sure that it at least looks like they do the next stage we find in verse 7 then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared so what he did publicly was he brought in the Jewish priests and the religious leaders what he did privately was he brought in Pagan wise men. Now, these magi, these wise men that went to visit Jesus, they were not Jewish believers. They were pagan astronomers, they were the ones who watched the stars. And what Herod did was he couldn't find out publicly, you know, what everybody saw, he couldn't get the information he wanted. So, okay, I can't get it from them, but at least people think I've got good motives and I've got a good heart and I've got good intentions. So what I'm going to do is in secret, that's exactly what verse seven says, he summoned the wise men secretly. You see, when you have a control issue, when everything has to be about your kingdom and has to be for your benefit, you will do whatever you have to do to make sure that that happens, even if it's going to a wrong person or a wrong source to get the information that you desire. We see this this in the life of King Saul in the Old Testament, right? The man who was who was appointed as God's king over the nation, wound up at the end of his life seeking counsel from the witch of Endor. Because Saul had this hard heart that it had to be about him. You see, there's a jealousy that's present in control issues. When it's all about our kingdom, then we get jealous of anything and everything that's not pointing directly back at us. So he brings these men in secretly. You see, you're not concerned when you have control issues, when when we have these things going on in our lives. We're not concerned about how we get the information. We're concerned about, number one, it's about me, and then number two, that the perception of the people of me is still good. That's why he did this in secret. Then verse 8 even the pagan people that he brought in secretly, he tells them this, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. Now let me ask you the obvious question. Did Herod really want to worship Jesus? This means yes, this means no. Did Herod really want to worship Jesus? No. But he lied to the people that he's using to get the information from. When it's all about us, when it's about the control issues in our life, when it's about our kingdom, we will manipulate, we will lie, we will steer people. And it doesn't matter who it is, how big the lie, how small the lie, how innocent, how evil, how benign, how malignant our intentions are if we... Are about our Kingdom, then we will lie and tell people what they want to hear as long as it advances our agenda. Now let's look at verse 16. The next step, that when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So here we kind of see the final stage of depravity, and the final mark of what Herod's life teaches us about these control, about this having to have, uh, having to have this control in our lives, is we ultimately wind up hurting the people around us now maybe it, it may not go to a genocide level okay because that's what happened here all the male children two years or younger he had killed wiped out so that this threat this person who may rise up in popularity enough that could unseat him the one who would not live in fear for fear of him the one who posed a legitimate problem for king herod he said i am so desperate for this control for this security that i will slaughter innocence so that i can maintain it and as a result most of the scholars and, and theologians feel like there's probably between 20 to 30 some male babies under the year under two years of age that were killed in this region during this time all because Herod wanted to make sure that he had control. So as I turn this kind of towards us a little bit more, as I, as I take this light off of Herod, and I kind of point it back on us just a little bit more, what can we learn this morning? What are some things that we need to make sure that we do in order that we are not being dictated by the control issues in our lives. Because again, there's not a person that's hearing this right now that does not have control issues on some level. Let's turn to James chapter 3. This is my wife's favorite book of the Bible. And it has been for pretty much, I don't know about your whole life, but for most of your life, right? I think it was personally prophetic before she met me that her favorite was a book named James. Okay, James chapter 3. I want to start reading with verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. is earthly unspiritual and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists there will be disorder and every vile practice but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and, sincere. and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what does this message mean for us this morning? First thing that we all need to do is we need to understand and accept that on some level, we all have control issues. Every one of us have selfish ambitions. Every one of us are jealous over our own kingdom. The second thing that we have to do after we recognize it is repent. And I, I think that's a word we don't hear enough in churches today. Repent. Because each and every one, again, we are Gomer in this story. We're not Hosea. We're not the Redeemer. We're not the one who who offers the solution. We serve the One who is the solution. We focus on the One who is the Redeemer, who is the solution. But each and every one of us left to our own devices and left to our own hearts fall into sin. And it's not even a conscious fall into sin. It is just our wiring apart from Jesus Christ that we are sinful people. We need to recognize it. And then we need to live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is more than just a one-time event in our life. It is a one-time marked event, and then it is a lifestyle, day in, day out, of repenting of where we fall short, and focusing more, and depending more, and leaning more on Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that we need to do this morning is we need repentance to refocus our kingdoms we need to take the focus off of our kingdom and we need to put the focus on his kingdom when i ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning and we're going to sing a song here in just a moment we're going to worship again and what we're going to sing is going to match up exactly with that third point well it's going to with all of these points the recognizing that we need a savior that we need the Redeemer repenting and turning our hearts towards Him, and then actually doing something about it, because it's called a lifestyle of surrender. And if we don't surrender everything, if we don't surrender all that we have, then we're still holding on to our ambition of our own selfish kingdom.